Dan Roberts. I'm the arena announcer for the Utah Jazz. Time now to talk about the Utah Jazz and the NBA on the Salt Lake Tribune Jazz Podcast. How about this jazz? And now, ladies and gentlemen, let's meet Eric Walden and Andy Larson. All right, welcome into the How About This Jazz podcast, the Salt Lake Tribune Utah Jazz podcast. I'm Andy Larson along with Eric Walden. Eric is in Golden State, or I guess, I don't know, San Francisco. Uh, are you in San Francisco or Oakland, by the way? I am in San Francisco. Got a got a great deal at the Clancy downtown San Francisco, a short distance away from uh, the Chase Center. So, yeah, happy to be in town. Uh, so how far away is that from the Chase Center? It is a few tenths of a mile away. Oh, that's great. Every once in a while, you just, yeah, every once in a while, you get, like, a, a great deal in San Francisco, and you're able to stay there. There have been previous trips here that, yeah, I've stayed in Oakland just because it was that much cheaper. But, um, yeah, the Clancy, I think, within walking distance. So that'll cool. be nice tomorrow. Yeah, I, I stayed at the airport last time I was there, and, yeah, we're trying to save the Tribune money here, but so it goes. Um, anyway, let's talk. Uh, I've got three topics on our list today, Eric. I've got one, uh, this trade rumor as reported by Shams Trania of The Athletic and Bowley and everything else that he does. Uh, and we'll get into that first. Second, I want to talk about Kelly Olynyk's imminent return. Uh, has been named questionable for the game against Golden State. Uh, that usually means that when they go from out to questionable that they're likely to play. So I anticipate that he will play barring any setbacks. We'll talk about that. And then I, I also want to get into the Rudy Gobert situation in Minnesota, which, you know, obviously this is Jazz podcast and we want to talk to Jazz most of all, but I think it's of interest to Jazz fans uh, why Rudy Gobert is struggling somewhat this season, what's going on over there, and maybe what that says about his time in Utah as well. So we'll, we'll talk about that to, to wrap up the show. But first, trade rumors are always the most interesting thing because, well, you know, this Jazz team is not going to necessarily win a championship as is, uh, and this is not a, a you know this is a work in progress. So it's interesting to see how the Jazz plan to get to that championship contention level. And so Shams Charania of again all those different places said that Utah, Phoenix, and Atlanta discussed a potential deal, which would have sent Jay Crowder to Atlanta, uh, would have sent John Collins to the Jazz, and ultimately. The Jazz kind of sullied this deal when they uh, asked for multiple first-round picks along with uh, along with the deal. So that's it's kind of an interesting situation. Uh, the, the Jazz would have given up, by the way, I should point that out, Malik Beasley and Jared Vanderbilt in this kind of proposed framework, So, uh, which does make sense. Those are kind of the players that make the salaries work. So first of all, Eric, just to kind of get into it, when you first heard this deal, what were your initial thoughts? My initial thoughts centered around one word. It's a word that my wife has been using a lot lately. She occasionally gets fixated on specific words and like throws <laughs> them into every single conversation. The one she's been doing that lately with is uh, audacious. Hearing, <laughs> hearing this deal uh, and, and why it fell apart in that, you know, Danny Ainge would in theory be getting the best player out of the deal and uh, also asking for multiple first round picks to go along with it is audacious in my estimation. Like I get it, right? Like um Jared Vanderbilt, you know, theoretically could be worth a first round pick. 
the shooting of Malik Beasley theoretically could be worth a first round pick. You know, in a vacuum, you can say, yeah, you know, that makes sense. John Collins not playing particularly well. He's been injury prone. He's had a down year. Like, you know, if you're Danny Ainge, why not ask for it? It's but but it's audacious because, you know, John Collins, when playing like he's capable of, I, I think he definitely has not adjusted well to being the third wheel uh, with the Hawks this year, and, and that certainly is playing a role in his downturn. But, you know, in a more expanded role, like he could potentially have here in Utah, I would expect that he would do better. I would expect that he would be shooting better than 20-whatever percent, 21% from three-point range. Um, you know, so audacious on Danny Ainge's part to ask for that. Uh, if, if I'm in the front office in Phoenix and Atlanta, I don't accept that deal. You know, I think, I think they were absolutely right to be like, no, thanks. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll talk to you again sometime, but well, uh, you know, if you're Danny Ainge, yeah, why not try it? Well, because it's not going to work and you kind of make other GMs mad if you do that. But, uh, I, you know, I think obviously it's something that's worked in the past for him when he had Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert, two all-stars, you know, now we're talking about Malik Beasley and Jared Vanderbilt, who are not all-stars. So, look, I, I, I mean, I think you have to kind of think about this from each team's perspective. Like, okay, so Suns fans, I think the, the Suns want to move on from Jay Crowder because clearly he's not going to be a Phoenix Sun moving forward. Uh, and they want to get better. You know, I think the Suns have been relatively disappointing this year. It's I, I think it's fair to say, you know, as, as a team that, uh, you know, ran away with the NBA uh, best record last year. And now all of a sudden they're, they, you know, in the Western Conference and only 19 and 15, just playing slightly below uh, above 500 basketball, having lost three in a row. Um, they haven't been very good. And, and so, you know, I think there is a, a case that they need reinforcements, that their, their bench is pretty shallow and that uh, they're the only team in the NBA that has neither traded nor received any draft picks. They kind of have this clean slate, essentially, that there's a case there that, like, yeah, they should give up a pick or even multiple picks for two really good role players. I mean, like, look, shooters of Malik Beasley's quality have garnered first-round picks in uh, trade deadline trades before. There's no doubt about that. And I think uh, picks, players, uh, uh, you know, 23-year-old starters, which is what Jared Vanderbilt is, have gotten first-round picks. And so it's like, well, you know, if, if they're receiving two picks in that deal, uh, two good players in that deal, I can understand why Danny Ainge is asking for two picks kind of on the merits of the thing. Yeah, I mean, I understand that. Um, I guess it's important to look at it from the perspective of, you know, does this particular deal make sense for each team that's involved, right? So it's like the Suns are losing Jay Crowder and theoretically getting uh, Malik and Bando. Uh, Atlanta losing John Collins and getting Jay Crowder. The Jazz losing those two guys and getting John Collins. Um, if I'm Atlanta, I don't know why I'm doing that deal. Like, um, unless they're just. Like, I mean, frankly, to get out really of really wanting to get off that deal, you know. I yeah. I honestly the contract, think they might right? be right. Like, let's. By all accounts, Sean Collins has been on the trade market for months, for six months, for 12 months, you know, like a very long time. They they are not super enthused with what he's done. And then he's only played worse since then, right? So 
you look at his stats this year and it's like, all right, you know, 12 points a game, shooting 21% from three. Um, you know, I think the other kind of ancillary stats are there. The plus minus stats are still pretty good. Um, but like, I, I think there's a real chance that like you, that John Collins is an overpay, right? Like if he continues to play like he do, does for the rest of the year, um, you know, or, or moving forward, then all of a sudden you're, you're overpaying a guy for the next until 2027, which is not, which is not fun. Right. So I, I think that's, you know, there's some risk of that. Like I, I think ultimately John Collins is a better player than he's shown this season, but you know, there is a chance that that's, uh, wishful thinking. And then, you know, you also kind of have to find, we know the right system in which to put John Collins in because he's not a traditional five. He's not a traditional four, uh, you know, and, and, and you have to put the right kind of players around him. You know, I, I think in a lot of ways, he reminds me of Lowry Markkinen and, and kind of like, Hey, you know, he probably needs to be in the right system and given a lot of leeway to do his thing, to be a really effective player. Um, if you try to put him in a box, he's going to struggle in the box. And the problem is you can't put, you know, it's hard to say, Hey, John Collins, go out and be our best player because, you already have a Lowry Markkinen who is probably slightly better at that. You know, like it's from a jazz point of view, there is, I think some gamble there. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. Not saying it's without risk. Like I, I know you and I kind of discussed this a few weeks back. And um, at the time I brought up the point that like John Collins is kind of like a Lowry Markkinen light this year, you know, like, and, and this year in particular, very light just because the production has been so down, but I feel like, there is kind of some overlap in skill sets there. Um, could the Jazz get away with it? Yeah, because Lowry's been pretty good at playing the three. You could put Collins there at the four. Defensively, I think, you know, I think we've established we're not particularly enamored of um, what Vando brings defensively. Like, the, the reputation is probably a little overstated at this point. Then again, like, I do think he probably is a better defensive player than John Collins is. So like you're taking a step backward that way. You're definitely losing some shooting in the deal because even if he, you know, starts getting closer to what he has been throughout his career, he still is not the shooter that um, Malik Beasley is. So like, I get the appeal of it. Like, you know, he's, he's a, he's a quality player, but for a guy who really has never, you know, approached being, all-star level like i think you do have to wonder like is that contract worth it just given the number of years and the amount of money left on that deal so um i don't know i i i get that like danny ainge is in asset acquisition mode and if he can get a team to give him two first round picks for you know two guys who may not be uh, um, part of the long-term future here like that's appealing but at the same time i don't know that like acquiring John Collins is necessarily a Neil moving uh, type situation for me. No. And, and, you know, I think that's why Danny Ainge asked for the two first round picks, right? Like, or presumably multiple, presumably we're talking to like, you know, I think that's kind of makes sense given that, okay, if we're not positive, this guy's going to move the needle and you're paying him 25 million, you know, if, if you're just taking a flyer on him, for this year and next, let's say, then sure, you know, but you're taking a flyer a year beyond that as well. So, and that's when you really want to see the Jazz 
take further steps into like real contention, right? And and so if you're using 25% of your salary slot, uh, you know, 25 million, sorry, I should say, on, on that deal, and he turns out to be essentially like a Tobias Harris kind of player where he's nice to have, but is not a real positive value at his contract, like, I, I think there's a, you know, a, a, a worry about that. Now, the cap probably goes up, and so you're like, okay, maybe today's $25 million deal is more of a $20 million deal, so to speak. I mean, I, I think there's an argument you can can make here, but like, yeah, it's, I, I, I think ultimately, I don't know how wrong the Jazz are to ask for multiple first round picks, especially given, you know, that the, the teams, they should mostly come from Phoenix, uh, which probably means picks in the 20s. And, you know, ultimately, I think what you'd be looking for is if you were to only receive one first round pick in this deal, uh, for that pick to have some upside, to be maybe an Atlanta pick, maybe a unprotected Phoenix pick in the future, you know, after Chris Paul's, reti- you know, presumed retirement um, and, and see where you go from there. Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a fair point. Should we move along to point number two? Sure. Uh, Kelly Olenek coming back. So, you know, kind of two points on this. One, I, I think Kelly Olenek coming back uh, gives the Jazz essentially full health. You know, uh, that's something that they haven't had since the beginning of the season, and we will be able to see the same rotations that they had at the beginning of the season. So, you know, that means kind of less relying on some of these more kind of iffy players, Simone Fantecchio, Rudy Gay, so on and so forth, uh, because you can just play Kelly Olenek at either the four or the five and have it work out. Um, but we have gotten a chance to evaluate Walker Kessler as a starter. He's started now six games uh, this season, and it's it's kind of been interesting to see uh, how he's performed. What have you made of his his abilities in, in those 25 minutes a game that he's getting in starting performances? Yeah, so Walker, he's been... He's been a pleasant surprise, right? Like, I've, I've stated previously, I've been on the record as saying that, like, I did not anticipate that Walker Kessler would be this solid this early. You know, wow. I had doubts about his athleticism. I had doubts about his speed. Um, but he's been a pleasant surprise, right? He's He's been a solid backup. I think um, he's had moments as a starter, although I think he's also had some, some lesser games when thrust into that um, kind of more primary role in in the starting five and going up against, you know, playing more minutes against, um, you know, first-line bigs from opposing teams. Uh, I think he's had moments that show that, like, you know, he's a 21-year-old who's played 30-something games in the NBA, you know? Uh, but at the same time, like, there's a reason that he's, you know, one of the league leaders in block shots. There's a reason that he's having an impact at the rim um walker has been you know pretty solid um i asked kelly for his opinion on on what he had seen from walker during this stretch while while kelly was sitting on the bench we were able to talk to uh kelly at the jazz practice today in san francisco and you know he was uh pretty happy with what he saw you know he, he made the same point like look okay walker's 21 years old he's still is learning you know he, he's been playing somewhere between like 26 and, and 30 minutes a game against you know opposing teams top guys and there's been kind of a learning curve for him in all those games like I think particularly in the realm of foul trouble 
Uh, I think also in terms of like finding ways to get himself consistently involved offensively. You know, th- there are certain matchups where he's able to do it pretty well and other matchups where he can be pretty invisible on that end for a lot of the game. But um, I think that you'd have to say that overall at this point, Walker Kessler is looking like he's got a, at the very least, like a decently solid NBA career ahead of him. And if he can um, show some improvement in areas of, you know, being more involved offensively, being less foul prone, you know, kind of learning those nuances of how to challenge guys at the rim while making less contact. You know, we saw the foul trouble in the Spurs game really kind of, you know, limit his effectiveness to the point that, like, he didn't start the third quarter. Um, you know, things like this. Will Hardy's been on the record as saying that Walker needs to become a much better screener than he has been in order to kind of get those extra minutes. So I think it'll be good probably for Walker to return to a bench role and for Kelly to get back out there and, you know, for, for those guys to take on those positions that they've been in for most of the season. And, um, yeah, let's, let's see Walker continue to develop from there. Let's see Kelly kind of hold down the fort for now. Um, whether that happens Wednesday night here in San Francisco or Friday night in Sacramento, and apparently there is some doubt. We asked Kelly, you know, is it your expectation you'll play? And he edged a little, said that's the goal, but, you know, he said how he would see how he was feeling on Wednesday before the game, had some tests to go through. So it's a possibility that it might not happen against the Warriors. Um, But I do expect it'll happen, like, at Sacramento at the latest. And I think, you know, Kelly's addition will really kind of uh, help this team in some of the areas they've been lacking recently. Yeah, and we'll see, like, you know, again, whether the good start to the season was more, you know, how real was it if you're fully healthy and and get a, a slate of games in late December, early January to kind of show where you are, you know, in, in the season's doldrums in, you know, three months in. I think a couple points here. One, I was, you know, not super disappointed, but not also blown away by how Walker played as a starter. You know, I think there was a chance of uh, what happened when Rudy Gobert took over for Ennis Cantor in his second season and just kind of set the world on fire and be like, hey, you know, I clearly deserve to start and, and, you know, you need to make moves around me in order to make that happen. And we, I don't think he took the advantage of the opportunity to that extent. You know, I think he was very good in his minutes. I think, you know, he added a lot. Uh, clearly, the team needs his rebounding and rim protection and, and gets better levels of that from Walker than anyone else on the roster. And yet was not so good that you, like, definitely have to start him moving forward. If you do want to start him, and I think the Jazz actually do want to start him sooner rather than later, like, Maybe at, by the end of the season, have him be a full-time starter. I think there's a real chance we're not talking about him uh, taking over from Kelly Olynyk, but taking over from Jared Vanderbilt. Uh, I think the Jazz really like what they've got from Olynyk as a offensive floor uh, spacer, as a creator, as a screener. Um, things that Jared Vanderbilt just doesn't bring. And frankly, you look at the rebounding stats and you know, Walker is going to bring that, and maybe Linux is going to bring that better than Jared Vanderbilt will, at least when it comes to defensive rebounding. Uh, and then offensive rebounding, you know, I think you can kind of compensate with having Larry Markkinen 
Kelly Olynyk and Walker Kessler all, all out there having just kind of this huge front court, um, even bigger than one starting Jared Vanderbilt. So, I ultimately, if the Jazz do start Walker Kessler, and I, you know, again, I expect them to uh, sooner rather than later. I think that's probably the way that they'll go. That's what I would bet happens. Um, so I, I, you know, I don't think the choice has to be Kelly or Walker. I guess is, is what I want to say. No, that's a very good point you bring up, and I mean makes a lot of sense considering that uh you know we started this podcast off with a discussion of how much sense it makes for the team to you know potentially move on from jared vanderbilt which is not to say they couldn't also potentially move on from kelly Olynyk, but um i do think you make you know a good point there a good argument in that yeah i i could easily envision uh the utah jazz having the whitest front court in the league by deploying walker kessler Kelly Olynyk, um, Lowry Markkinen, you know, um, I'm sure there's probably more jokes to be made there, but like, you can see how it would work on the court. We have seen it in small doses. We haven't seen that lineup, you know, tons this year, but it's been deployed a few times. And yeah, as you mentioned, like, I think that it's a group that can help kind of, um, you know, make up for one another's deficiencies. Like Kelly, not a great rebounder, but having him next to Walker and, and having, you know, Lowry deployed as the three, like, should theoretically, you know, help alleviate that a bit. So, um, yeah, I, I do think that this team has been overall impressed with Walker. As you mentioned, you know, not di- didn't set the world on fire during the starting stint. Like, I don't think that, um, you know, immediately, at least anyway, we'll see both him and Kelly Olenek in the starting five. I do think we'll see Walker go back to the bench for a bit. But yeah, I, I agree with you in that at some point during the year, I could easily envision, um, you know, Walker moving to that role more permanently, especially if Danny Ainge finds a taker for Jared Vanderbilt uh, with a with a first round pick to offer. Yeah, agreed. Um, and, and that's, and, and you know, or frankly, Kelly Olenek, I think, I don't think is going to get a first round pick, but I think there are deals that make sense to trade him too. You know, like I, I think... I was talking to some Denver Nuggets folks and like kind of, hey, you know, you guys clearly need to improve your bench. Uh, you know, how, how is there a, a deal here that makes sense? And they don't really have the, the first round picks to offer that, that make, you know, to go out and get probably what Vanderbilt or Beasley is worth in the market. But an expiring Kelly Olenek or mostly expiring, you know, given that his contract is mostly non-guaranteed next year. Um, you know, they could trade kind of some of their end of bench guys, add up to $10 million in salary, throw in a couple of seconds and maybe make that work. I think if I'm the Jazz, I, I probably do that deal. Because, um, you know, it's it's very clear that Kelly is, again, probably not going to be part of the next good Jazz team. He's kind of a uh, minutes user and bridge to get there. And so if you can get, you know, useful draft assets, I, I think you have to at least consider it. Yeah, that's a fair point. And in the meantime, you know, have Walker Kessler learn a little bit from him. Um, I thought it was interesting, and and this kind of segues into our third point. Um, I I saw some people discussing Rudy Gobert versus Walker Kessler and and kind of how Walker compares uh, at this point in his career. And I've seen, like, a not insignificant number of Jazz fans on Twitter who are like, if given the choice between, you know, having Rudy back or, or having Walker Kessler, like they'd take Walker, you know, and like, 
there's a conversation to be had there about like um i mean obviously you know the the salary difference the discrepancy there is is not insignificant but in terms of production like okay even given Rudy's struggles, is, is Walker there yet? No, but I mean, I, I get the argument in terms of, uh, you know, the future value of, of having a 21-year-old and seeing what he's brought to the table at this point and, and where he can go from here. But um, I do think that's, a, that's an interesting conversation to have just given what we've seen out of Rudy Gobert on the Minnesota Timberwolves this year. So um, let's discuss that in further detail, Andy. Let, let's, let's have you start that off. Yeah, real quick, uh, I just looked it up. The The three-man lineup, front court of Kelly Olenek, Larry Markkinen, and Walker Kessler is a plus 13.8 this year. Um, as you'd expect, they're really good defensively, 102 points per, uh, you know, 102 defensive ratings. So that's, that's you know, it's only 63 minutes, but so far so good on that lineup, which has been used actually kind of a lot in 21 different games this year. Um, anyway, on Rudy, like, I think the Rudy conversation is so interesting I don't think it's wise to say Walker Kessler should, you know, because he is better than Rudy Gobert was as a rookie, should become that good because, you know, really you're comparing him to one of the best prospect development stories of all time. Um, You know, from being the 27th pick to being just a toolsy guy to developing into what he became, it kind of reminds me of, you know, the Kawhi Leonard or Giannis Antetokounmpo stories where, um, you know, clearly these guys just went from, end of bench kind of dudes to being, you know, clear all NBA players. And uh, just because Scotty Barnes looked a little bit like Kawhi Leonard in his rookie year does not mean that he will be Kawhi Leonard moving forward. And, you know, just because Thanasis Antetokounmpo shares a last name and some of the tools of Giannis doesn't mean that he will become Giannis. You know what I mean? Like, in the end, uh, it's just hard. Most of the time, the development does not work out in that way. Um, Rudy Gobert is that story, though, and, and so I think kind of that, that hard work and that, that upside is why it's been a little bit surprising that he's he struggled as much as he has, in even in a new situation in Minnesota. And, and to be clear, he is struggling. Like, it's not just like a fit thing. It's not just like a, hey, he's not getting the ball thing. Like, he's not contesting shots that we're used to seeing him contest. Uh, you know, I think he's kind of struggling in, in kind of how teams are attacking him and, and figuring that out. And, you know, honestly, it kind of reminds me of how Mike Conley looked in his first season with the Jazz, where it's just like, you know, you can see flashes of what he should do, and it's just like, okay, but could you do, like, way more of it, please? <laughs> um, and they're lacking that. So, I, I mean, my, my thought is some of that is maybe because he's now on the other side of 30. He shouldn't fall off this soon. But, you know, there is, like, real risk of a, of a permanent downturn and once you pass that age. And, um, and then I would also say that I, I probably do kind of expect a Mike Conley-ish situation here where um, ultimately he probably gets better. He probably ends the season better than he starts it. I would bet next season he'll probably improve. Again, just because uh, he, you know, figures out where to, to get his shot blocks in, essentially. Um, but is it most likely to turn out as kind of a trade that you probably gave up too much for and that the Wolves ultimately regret? Yeah, I think I think that's most likely. Which uh, was something that people were saying could very well be the case even before we saw Rudy Gobert play one minute in a Minnesota uniform. Um, you know... To your point, it's it's intriguing to see where it can go from here because I do feel like you know 
us having seen Rudy play every night for the last bunch of years, like we came to appreciate the subtleties of his game, the nuances of his game, the things that like are not necessarily gonna show up, you know, on on a Sports Center highlight reel, but which kind of define his greatness. And uh, yeah, to your point, I think it's it's hard to argue that he's not playing up to that level right now. And how much of that is struggling to fit in with what the Wolves do versus how much he's just kind of playing poorly. Um, it's a good question, right? Because reading, reading the athletic article that came out um, on Tuesday morning about, about his struggles, about how he was benched, um, you know, for the finale of Minnesota's game against Miami. Um, some of the things stood out, you know, like, I mean, some of the things are, are, are years old complaints, right? Like catching passes in traffic has always been like kind of, you know, uh, a weak spot to his game, you know, things like, uh, inability to punish smaller defenders in the post, right? Like these are things that jazz fans know well at this point and, and roll their eyes at and they're, and they're like, yeah, of course, like. These are things that Rudy has always struggled with and is going to continue to struggle with, and why will that change at this point? But seeing how much his rebounding numbers are down, seeing how much his block shot numbers are down, like those are the areas of concern, right? Those are the areas where you're like, okay, there's something going on here. There's something that's not right. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm with you. Like the Mike Conley comparison is a good one. That was actually something that I talked to Mike about. Um, back when the Jazz were set to travel, or rather, back when uh, Rudy was set to come to Salt Lake for his for his first game here, you know, I, I talked to Mike about like that acclimation process, just because his struggles in a similar situation had been kind of so notorious, and you know, Mike made the point like it's interesting in that some guys like can flourish in that new situation right away and other guys like himself and maybe like Rudy just really need a ton of kind of ramp up time to feel comfortable, to feel like they know what they're doing, to feel like they, they know what their teammates are doing, to feel like there's that trust uh, between them all the way around, you know, that them trusting their teammates, their t new teammates trusting them. So I'll be curious to see if, if we see, you know, better games from Rudy going forward. I'd, I'd like to think that, you know, it, it's not a case of being physically washed quite yet. That would, that would feel like a very sudden and precipitous fall yeah. uh, physically to me. Like, I, I, I just don't see it happening that suddenly. But, um, yeah, I mean, let's, let's see how the rest of the season plays out and, and see, you know, do, do we see kind of those signs of improvement of him getting more comfortable and, and kind of, being the defensive and rebounding force that the Timberwolves brought him in to be. I, I think I think most likely yes. And I, I'd also say to Timberwolves fans that like we also saw stretches where Rudy Gobert struggled in a jazz uniform. You know, like at the beginning of seasons and kind of months at a time where you'd be like kind of poking him like, Hey Rudy, buddy, you gotta you gotta do something here, <laughs> you know, like um and, and then he would turn it on at some point during the season, you know? So I, I'd say Still early, you know, I, I'd say, you know, 34 games played, 
you, you've got time to, to figure this out. This doesn't mean this experiment has failed. You know, again, clearly, you know, if, if you're in a vacuum, would you do this trade again if you're a Minnesota Timberwolf? Probably not, but, like, uh, there's still a chance that, like, the great experiment can, can work out. Yeah, and just one other point I want to make. I, I'm glad that you brought up the development component of this, right? Because I think so many times guys look at people like Giannis, like Kawhi, like Rudy, and where they were drafted, and the narrative kind of becomes, oh, well, you know, teams just, like, missed out on these guys, right? Like, team, teams just misread these guys. And that's not always the case, right? Like, sometimes these guys are drafted exactly where they deserve to be drafted, and they just wind up, you know, working really hard and getting way better than anyone logically could have foreseen. And, and that's definitely been the case with Rudy. You know, when he was taken 27th overall by the Nuggets and basically sold to the Jazz on draft night, you know, who, who was the guy they sent back? Eric Green? Eric Green, yep. Eric Green, yeah. Um, you know, like, there were no great expectations of, of Rudy Gobert turning into something. Did he have, like, some impri- some impressive, you know, uh physical stats yeah you know he, he he's a physical marvel but like he was very raw right like he 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 was his game wasn't necessarily anything to speak of there was a reason that um he played some games in the G League initially so uh it's a testament to him and and just when you see guys like that who start at that position and and work themselves into a position like he has over the years um I think there's probably a little benefit of the doubt warranted that that when they get into thrown into a new situation and it doesn't go well immediately, let's you know give him a little more runway to to try and figure it out. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And then I'd also say I wonder, um, you know, some of this is definitely not Chris Finch's fault, but I also wonder like if you change up coach or you know like essentially does Rudy Gobert come become Rudy Gobert if Ty Corbin's still the Jazz's coach? I think is a real question mark. Um, you know, again, it may be, it may be, again, a, a situation thing where, uh, you know, he, he needs the right players in the right situation for him to flourish. And yep, I think, you know, we'll, we'll see, or he might just play better on his own. You know, we, we truly don't know. Yep, exactly. Yeah. There's, there's so much hit and miss with guys oftentimes based solely upon like being in the right place at the right time with, with the right supporting cast you know and and i think that very much could be the case with rudy right now with the wolves um yeah i'll be i'll be obviously a jazz fans will be keeping an eye on that uh one in part because i think there's still is a lot of kind of residual affection for rudy his, his late lay-in from the prior game here notwithstanding but also because um if the Timberwolves crash and burn, you know, that's uh, good news for the Jazz who, uh, you know, have a boatload of draft picks from the Wolves coming their way down the line. Yep, good point. All right, Eric, anything else before we, we wrap up the show? I don't think so. I think uh, happy to be in San Francisco. Happy to have had you back on the podcast this week. <laughs> how after, was, how after... was it last week? I thought it was an interesting conversation. I loved having uh, Joe Varden from The Athletic on. We talked about a lot of Donovan Mitchell-related things. If 
So if people happen to miss that podcast, they should uh, go back and give that a listen, even though you weren't on it, which I know is, you know, <laughs> a strike against it. But, uh-huh. um, you know, it, it was an interesting conversation hearing kind of how what the, what the perception of Donovan is in Cleveland and, and some of the different issues that we've heard about, you know, the uh, the infamous Mark Spears inter- interview that he did. We touched on that. Um, you know, it was a great conversation. Not not as sparkling as the conversations that you and I have now. Oh, wow. But, yeah, um, thank you. Well, good. Um, <laughs> we'll have to do it again sometime this podcast, namely every week here at the Salt Lake Tribune. Uh, but for now, Andy Larson, Eric Walding, signing out. See you guys.